Welcome to Prime Suspects for your weekly insider's look behind the counter of Prime Sports. Joined as always by Joe Brennan Jr. and Adam Bjorn, I'm your host Matt Landis. And guys, after an underwhelming wildcard weekend, the NFL divisional round didn't disappoint in terms of entertainment value. How to go for Prime in terms of handle and hold? Saturday's games were good. Sunday games were crap. I mean, it was uh, somewhat of an evening out thing, but volume was good. Everything's moving along nicely. I think sort of well beyond expectations again for this month. But yeah, I mean, the Bills just needed the Bills. Wide right, much to the chagrin of the existence of Bills fans everywhere. But guys, if it was a bit of a mixed bag last weekend, the NFL playoffs roll on as we hit conference championship week. And let's use that as a springboard into our first segment, the latest from inside Prime Sports. Joe, on Twitter, you posted that Prime initially took some early action on both underdogs when these lines opened up. We're referencing Detroit plus seven at San Francisco, as well as Kansas City plus three and a half at Baltimore. And Adam, I'll actually come to you first to piggyback on what Joe posted. First off, what goes into posting NFL opening lines at Prime Sports? Generally, it's just throw up a number when it gets to this point. You know, I mean, you have some places putting up preliminary numbers for all the games, which I'm not looking to do at all. It's not hard. And you put it up, limits are higher to start with, and the number gets banged into place pretty quickly. Very little effort by this time of the year that goes into all this. To follow up on your point about limits being higher to start with, I'd love it if you could maybe elaborate on that and speak to how you manage risk differently for major events like NFL playoff games compared to other markets where there might be a lot less liquidity. Well, again, generally you have an idea of, you know, this is a unique situation because we don't have a previous year to have an idea of what liquidity is going to be. You know, that's one thing established over many, many years when you're sort of working for different places. You get an idea from the previous year what the expectations of liquidity are and how you can open those numbers. Even, you know, example for Kentucky Derby and things like that, I've always known sort of how it lays out for general places around the world uh, and even week to week, the UFCs and the NFLs and those kind of things. So this is kind of some new stomping ground of understanding, but playoffs. I mean, you can be pretty aggressive. You know what the teams are, you know what the players are, you know what the expectations are. And early in the week, you take a decent bet, move the number, and then, you know, it's usually late Thursday, Friday that the rest of it starts rolling in. And then you probably write as much game day as what you did the previous five days. So, and then your limits or whatever they can be knowing what the expectation of your top limit players are kind of looking for. And Joe, I want to weave you in here as well. I know this topic is largely in Adam's wheelhouse, but wondering what was going on in your head as you saw the initial action and went ahead and shared publicly the heavy action that Prime was taking on both underdogs on this past Sunday afternoon. Well, it's certainly an indicator of who we're attracting to the sports talk right now and that the money was jumping overwhelmingly on the dog side of things. At one point, you could get both favorites at better than even money. I think it's kind of settled out a little bit since then. Uh, I haven't looked yet today. Adam would know better, but it was fast and furious early on. And I was really praying that, oh boy, please don't have me pulling for San Francisco on game day. <laughs> I loathe those guys. <laughs> but it really did seem like the smarties and the early shoppers out there thought that there was, were some pretty fat points that the dogs were getting. Well, guys, from risk management at Prime to risk management elsewhere, I think we've got a loaded topic for our water cooler segment this week. ESPN bet offered unprecedented odds boosts this past weekend after taking heavy money on the Texans. 
per Avery Yang of the Action Network. This occurred Saturday morning, hours after Patrick Everson of Vegas Insider reported ESPN Bet taking substantial money on Houston on the money line. As a result, ESPN Bet took Baltimore minus nine and a half and boosted that from minus 110 to plus 110. They also took Baltimore minus 10 and a half and boosted it from plus 110 to plus 140. But I think the bigger headline here might be that there were virtually no limits associated with these odds boosts. It's being reported that ESPN bet allowed some bettors to wager up to $200,000 on this. And odds boosts are notorious for low limits. A trickle-down effect here as well. This led to unprecedented arbitrage opportunities at exchanges such as Profit Exchange and Sport Trade. In fact, Profit Exchange co-founder Jake Benzakin, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly, but pardon me if that's incorrect. He posted on Twitter that Profit had the best odds in the country on the Texans at those numbers of plus nine and a half and plus ten and a half. So they got flooded with bets on Houston. And the reason for that is bettors had the opportunity to lock in a profit if they had access to both ESPN bet and profit exchange. You could take Texans plus nine and a half at even money at profit exchange and Ravens minus nine and a half at plus 110 at ESPN bet. Also, when we're looking at that line of 10 and a half, you could take Texans plus the points minus 128 at profit exchange and take back plus 140 at ESPN bet. We saw a similar dynamic unfold to a lesser extent on Sunday when ESPN bet boosted Kansas City on the money line to plus 150, while the consensus was plus 130 or less. So guys, trying to lay that all out to give as much context as possible, I know there's a lot to unpack here, including ESPN bet's approach to risk management, conceding a lot of positive expected value in order to offset some lopsided exposure. Also, exchanges being the beneficiaries here, maybe something to be said about what this says about the relationship between recreational books and exchanges. And also the optics in play here with all of this unfolding is ESPN is, of course, more than just an operator. They're currently also seeking investment from leagues such as the NFL to bolster their business as a TV network. Joe, we'll kick it off with you here. Where do you want to start with a juicy topic like this? I think this is kind of indicative just overall. I mean, not getting into the nuts and bolts of what happened over there in ESPN Betland because you can't get those guys to actually comment what was going on in the back room that led to all of this. But from a macro sense, Penn Entertainment, Penn National, when they signed that agreement with ESPN, they were really aggressive about inking some significant market share milestones into the agreement. I mean, very quickly talking about getting 30% market share, which they are nowhere near. Hey, whether it is intentional or not, you could definitely say that they took a lot of volume, probably more, way more than they would normally have taken on that game. And everybody's talking about it. Mission accomplished, greater brand awareness and more volume. The fact that, you know, the cascade effect and the benefit it had for, you know, some of those guys like uh, Sport Trade and, and Profit Exchange, I think that's good to see. I know that we're hoping that when we arrive in New Jersey here shortly, that the relationship between us and the exchanges, you know, that, that, that there's opportunity for both sides and draws more money in and more opportunities for arbitrage. But to me, the meta moment of this whole thing was when the ESPN reporter, Dave Purdom, uh, could not ask for comment from ESPN bet and could not get one, which is about the funniest thing I think I've heard all week. Penn has to hit this one real. It has to hit it out of three ballparks in order for the deal to work on the terms that they've made with ESPN. So who knows? Maybe this is a sign of the left hand trying to be aggressive and grab market share while the right hand has maybe wet its pants on game day 
and uh, said, you got to rein this one in. It's a shame. I get, maybe they should have stand pat, but they would have made more money. Adam, on your end, a lot of different directions we can go. Anything to piggyback on Joe's comments or anything else that stood out to you from all the ESPN bet headlines made across gambling Twitter this past weekend? Yeah, for me, and one of my mottos for 2024 is curiosity over judgment. I know everyone's kind of hammering ESPN bet with how they might have managed this. We've got no idea what, what happened to them, what their position was from the early morning reports vary greatly that there was a significant big better that I'm sure everyone is aware of was part of playing it. Maybe when they, it was probably some bad trading here. There was probably a lot of positive equity given away. This is how they know what to do. They took a big position on something and then they boosted on other sides. And, you know, if it had have landed in the middle, if they did lay the money line and then the result was seven or eight, you know, it would be lauding them as geniuses kind of thing, or they would be lauding themselves as geniuses. So one result, I wouldn't take too much gauge of that. They made a decision. They stood by it. Who knows what their book ultimately looked like. On the flip side for the exchanges, I mean, this is kind of the only purpose I really see for them future-wise is to be in these positions for arbitrages to take advantage of these certain things. As Joe mentioned, we plan to do that as much as we can when we're live in one of the same markets as them. Yeah, it's just the reactions of people are quite amusing. Five years ago, I probably would have reacted the same, but once you've been in this long enough, you understand that you don't know everything that happened behind the scenes. I imagine a mistake was made just on the equity given away, but on their overall position, it was probably a good move. And then on top of that, their customer acquisition, whatever it costs them to get a player on this sense, it may have been a lot less than what it is when they're giving away money in the old fashioned way. At the end of the day, who knows how it really worked out for them. Yeah. You can certainly say with the free media that they're getting around this story. If you didn't know ESPN had a sportsbook brand before this, you certainly know now. But I just want to point out something here. Two remarkable things. A, that King Adam, our head of bookmaking, is quoting Ted Lasso philosophically. Be curious, not judgmental. And the other thing is, since Mattress Mac was the first name to pop up, he couldn't throw his arms up and say, not me, fast enough. So who knows? Maybe there's another mystery whale out there, Big Bed Ted or something like that that's driving this action. All right, well, somebody somewhere might be trying to adopt the memory of a goldfish when it comes to how this all went down. But one more follow-up question on mine that I'll throw your way. Adam, you made a reference to Prime being in a state where there are also exchanges. I think that's a nod to an upcoming launch in New Jersey. And I'm just curious as to what that relationship might look like between Prime and a profit exchange or a sport trade. Is there any direct communication when it comes to risk management and how on your end of the counter, there's pot potentially the opportunity to work together? Or is it just, hey, we're going to do our thing, they'll do their thing and let the betters figure out the arbitrage opportunities? Pretty much the latter. I mean, I've been very open with them, communicated with both parties that this is the goal when we get in there, their liquidity will go up, you know, our liquidity will go up. We'll pick some spots. We'll advertise it clearly, even against the general sports books. I know sport trade have been very aggressive on pushing out. Well, you know, we have the best numbers. We we'll have some fun games with that as we get in there too. But at the end of the day, we're all sort of heading in the same direction. There'll be plenty of jovial banter between us and publicly, privately, wherever else. Uh, but this is something that literally done since Betfair and BetDAC and all these things opened 20 years ago. I plan to do the same once we get into this, one of the same markets here with them. Let's put it this way. 
this really is a more of a black swan event that this opportunity was available at a book that would be, you know, what we would designate a, a recreational sports book. You're not going to see too many of these opportunities, but it's probably much more likely probably on a daily basis with what we're doing at prime sports, the kind of sports book that we are. All right. Well, on that note, guys, let's pivot from big news at one worldwide leader in the sports content space to another and swing into our look ahead segment. And guys, today we can focus on the future of content. Sports Illustrated made major headlines when announcing mass layoffs late last week, as did some other industry media outlets such as Better Collective, which is the parent company of the aforementioned Action Network and Vegas Insider. And guys, open-ended question to both of you, wondering what you think in terms of how much this could be a sign of saturation within the sports betting content space and how much it may also be a sign of things to come as things like AI and large language models continue to proliferate. My aspect on this will be nice and short, so I'll go okay. first and then Joe go ahead. Went on after that. Uh, um, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, I, for me, a lot of the content's just so dull and boring. Plus, I imagine a lot of the stuff's just uh, closing up on the edges that they had and the earns that they had on the acquisitions, the affiliate deals, et cetera. I think it's just a sign of the times as well as seems like smaller teams are creating more content and that's also part of the future. I think some differentiation is kind of what we've been trying to talk about and do as we go forward. We haven't really pulled the trigger on that as yet, but I think this is just a sign of the times of where it's all heading for those kind of big groups. Yeah, I, you're really talking about two completely different kind of channels here. Sports Illustrated, Legacy Sports Media, uh, that's really a bigger picture of what's happening. That's a technology disruption. AI, 10 years ago, you had companies like Automated Insights and others that were already just taking raw sports data stats and using their engines to create content, create articles. And I think the Better Collective one is one that's far more specific to the industry. They, they came in, they made a rash of acquisitions in the legacy affiliate world once PASPA was overturned. It was a huge gold rush. Now you've seen that, you know, the number of states on a yearly basis that are opening up new markets, the market's cooling on it. It's cooled across the board and you're seeing kind of the natural pairing back, I think, from the initial gold rush and probably also a little bit of a cooling on the affiliate model as well with all that downward pressure that the public markets are putting on FanDuel and DraftKings to get to profitability. Affiliates are clearly one of the most expensive ways to go to acquire customers. And so I know those guys are cutting back the prices that operators are willing to pay for a brand new player have dropped considerably over the last couple of years and even within the last year. So I just think you're seeing the evolution of that industry, not just technology disruption. And Joe, something Adam brought up, there could be a potential opportunity for differentiation as we see a lot of consolidation in the space. I'm wondering from your perspective, what that might look like in terms of your vision for content coming out of Prime Sports moving forward. Well, one of the things that we want to do is, and we've been talking about this for a while, is stand up our own kind of incubator-ish advisory platform. Content is clearly, it's a big piece of the ecosystem right now. And we've said this many times on this podcast and elsewhere, we're really skeptical of the quality that's out there right now. So much of it is just, you know, regurgitating a narrative about, you know, the players, stats, 
you know, a couple of novel things from Elias Sports Bureaus about trends occurring over 20 years for specific teams in specific situations, and then getting to a pick at the end of it that doesn't seem at all be in line with what they had discussed in the previous several paragraphs. I think we're going to be less interested in opportunities that are just straight text-based content. And we're far more interested in where the industry might go as far as providing tools and apps and services for players that want to do better. I know, especially Adam really bangs on about, you know, Americans, they don't really want to do the work. They want the answers, but there is kind of a middle ground between people who are building their own models doing their own math and things like that, and people who are just sitting there waiting for a towel to tell them the pick of the week, it might not be the majority of the audience. It will almost certainly be a minority of the audience. But if one to two players out of every 100 say they want to do something like use something like an unabated or something like that, that's something that I think we want to be supportive of. We like to do partnerships with those types of companies because it is making the players better. Maybe not necessarily, or Captain Jack likes to say, you know, maybe you won't be a winner, but you'll lose less often. But things that do educate the player, make the player's process a little more efficient. I think in that way, that dovetails with what we're trying to do with Prime and being, we're about real sports betting. We're not about entertainment. So let's remove the funky little articles and the personalities and the, you know, the whale plays of the day. And let's get serious about this and get players tools and apps and, and information that they can use either all on their own or with a little bit of assistance. All right. Well, to build on what both of you guys have shared as we wrap this up, I know that things like AI causing a lot of anxiety across several industries. And Joe, I will see your earlier Ted Lasso reference and raise you a Top Gun Maverick reference with the quote, it's not the plane, it's the pilot. We can only hope that holds true to a large extent in the future. And to the audience, we hope that you found value in how the three of us have co-piloted this week's conversation. So as we hit the home stretch, consider these your weekly reminders to go ahead and register for Prime Sports at primesports.com, download the Prime Sports app, Follow Prime Sports on Twitter at Prime Sportsbook, where we welcome you to message us with any questions or segment ideas. Follow Joe at Joe Brennan Jr. Follow Adam at Adam Bjorn 2. You can find links to all of the above in the show notes. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll catch you next week right back here on Prime Suspects. You must be 21 or over to play on Prime Sports. Always bet responsibly and within your limits. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thank you.